Come on, clap your hands to Jesus and give him glory, honor, and praise in the house. We love you, Jesus. You can be seated. What an honor and privilege it is to be here. And uh, I've never been more spiritual than what I am this morning. I can assure you of that. For 10 to 15 minutes, I vowed everything to God. I said, God, I know I'm already going to New York, but whatever else you want from me, I'm willing to do it. Uh, just don't let life end right here. Uh, it is so good to be with you. My family's not with me. They are back in Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, I appreciate uh, your pastor allowing us to be here. Do you love your pastor, your first lady? They're a wonderful family. Would you put your hands together? You guys are blessed with some of the very best, and I know that you know that. We give them honor this morning, and uh, what a wonderful job your praise team did leading us into worship. Why don't you give it up for them as well this morning, being sensitive to the Spirit leading us in the Holy Ghost this morning. If you believe that God is going to continue to send great revival right here in Jonesboro, Arkansas, if he's going to send revival to New York City and all across North America, would you lift your hands one time with me and just claim that right now? Believe it and receive it. Jesus, we are stepping into an end-time revival, God, where the latter and the former reign are going to come together. God, we are claiming your promise right now for unprecedented revival. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen, amen. So here's what I would ask you to do simply as a Metro missionary. If you would remember the Metters family, remember our, as we travel on deputation, hopefully we're getting close to the end of that. And uh, pray that God would lead us to hungry hearts once we get on site and that he would help us establish the church I know he has in New York City. If you're already given to missions and God would lay on your heart to increase that, maybe you're not giving to missions and you'd like to be involved in giving to missions, I encourage you to talk with your pastor, ask him about the missions giving of this church and how you can make a difference not only here but around the world as well, and I know that God will bless you for that as well. Would you stand with me across the building? I want to be mindful of your time. I know that I'm the only thing standing between you and lunch, um, and I'm hungrier than the rest of you, but I want to take you to Ezekiel chapter number one, and we will read verse number one, and then we will read verses 15 and 16 together. Ezekiel chapter number one and verses 15 and 16. you have your Bible, shout amen. Let the conviction settle up on the rest of you. <clears throat> now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Shebar. Notice how Ezekiel words this sentence. He himself is in captivity. But he doesn't say, we the captives. He says, I was among the captives. Otherwise, everybody else might be allowing their circumstances to define who they are. But I'm not going to allow my circumstances to tell me who I am. I'll allow God to tell me who I am, not my circumstances. He goes on to say, the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. Let's skip down to verse number 15 now and let's read about this vision. Now as I beheld the living creatures, behold, one wheel, somebody shout wheel, up on the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. The appearance of the wheels, somebody shout wheels, and their work was like unto the color of a barrel, and they four had one likeness, and their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And I'm going to preach to you for just a few moments this morning from this text, the thought, the wheel in the middle 
of the wheel. Why don't you place your Bible down? Would you lift your voices, your hands, your hearts toward heaven one more time and let us pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you with thanksgiving, with exaltation and adoration. From the very bottom of my heart and from the depth of my soul, I cry out unto you, believing that you will respond to our faith and our believing. Anoint our ears to hear, our minds to comprehend, and our hearts to receive what thus saith the word of the Lord. Help us to leave this place different than what we came. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you clap your hands to Jesus one more time? And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The wheel in the middle of the wheel. Now, I've already mentioned I was raised not too far from here, and uh, we, uh, I was raised in church, and we went to church every time the doors were open. Uh, my, uh, my pastor believed in having church. We had church on Sunday morning. We had choir practice on Sunday afternoon. Uh, we had church on Sunday night. We had all church prayer Monday night. We had youth prayer Tuesday night. We had Wednesday night Bible study. We had Thursday night Bible quizzing practice. Friday night was youth service. Saturday morning was outreach. And we were so spiritual, we had church Saturday night too at times. We would go through seasons of semesters of it during the course of a year. We had church. Now, I remember falling asleep under the back row as a really young little guy in church, and then I got old enough to sit on the front row with uh, the young men, and that's where we all sat. I was about 12 years old, and uh, I thought that was a big thing, so I moved up front, and occasionally we would we would talk during service, and I know we shouldn't do that, but we did that occasionally, and my parents ever caught me. We got in trouble, but we would discuss many times um, the quality of the service. You understand, we, we weren't sophisticated enough to have bottles of water. We had cups of water, and they sat next to the pulpit up here, and uh, our pastor had a tendency to get excited uh, from time to time or all the time, and uh, he would beat the podium or the pulpit with his hand, and when he would do that, the water would shake in the cup, and so we judged the quality of the service uh, by how much water was left in the cup at the end of service. If you hadn't lost any, well, it was just a Wednesday night Bible study, maybe. If, if, if you lost a quarter to half a cup, well, you knew you had church. If pastor ever knocked the whole cup over on the monitor that sat right below it, well, you knew God had showed up at that point, and we, we had church. And so um, pastor, he would do, I don't know what you call them, um, I call them preaching runs. He, uh, you understand with me, there are times you give a preacher a microphone, put them on a platform behind a pulpit, and we can't help ourselves. We're going to talk about Jesus. And when we talk about Jesus, we tend to get excited about Jesus. And so that, that, that's part of the reason. The, the other part of the reason I think maybe pastor used preaching runs is uh, sometimes pastor thought he was preaching better than the response that was being given back. I, I know that never, ever happens here. but uh, And so he would go on a preaching run and start talking about Jesus because if he talks about the goodness of Jesus in and you don't respond, well, you look sinnerish. That's, that's a made-up word of mine, but it's a good word. You look sinnerish. So, so if he says God is good, you've got to do something in response, and he knows he's going to get some type of feedback from it. Now, now, we had an individual. He liked to preach with the preacher. He sat right where you're sitting, sir. His name was Brother Ron, and Brother Ron sat on that second row right there. And uh, when Pastor would get excited, Brother Ron would stand to his feet. And when Pastor would point his finger, Brother Ron would point his finger right back at Pastor. And when, when, when Pastor elevated his voice, and he said, he's a good God. Uh, Brother Ron would respond and say, yes, he is. And then when pastor preached, he would spit at you. And Brother Ron would spit right back at the preacher. 
And if you sat between Brother Ron and the preacher, well, you got a holy bath every single, it was just understood that seat is always open every single service. And, and so pastor would do these preaching runs and he, he, it would go something like this. He'd say, I'm talking about Jesus. He, he is alpha and he is omega. He is beginning and he is ending. He is first and he is last. He which was, which is, uh, and which is to come. Uh, if you need healing, he'll be your healer. Uh, if you need deliverance, Jesus will be your deliverer. If you need salvation, uh, he'll be your, I'm talking about Jesus. Uh, he's the lily of the valley, the bright and the morning star, the rose of Sharon, the good shepherd. Uh, he's like the wheel in the middle of the wheel. When we responded like you respond, because that's what you do when somebody talks about Jesus. Now, I was sitting there about 12 years old, and I, I, I stood and clapped, and I got with my pastor when he preached because I knew I'd get in trouble if I didn't. And so I, I did that. And, but I got home one night. We were on the way home, and I asked my mom and dad. I said, Mom, Dad, I understood when pastor said Jesus is my healer. I, I get that. When he said he's our deliverer, I understand that. When, when he said he's my Savior, I thank God for that. But what does it mean for Jesus to be like the wheel in the middle of the wheel? Anybody ever heard that term before? He's like the wheel in the middle. We used to be so spiritual. We used to sing a song about it. He's my rock, my sword, my shield. He's the wheel in the, anybody remember the old song? And so I asked mom and dad, I said, what does it mean for Jesus to be the wheel in the middle of the wheel? And my parents said, I don't know. I said, well, you stood and clapped when he said it. They said, well, so did everybody else. So I, 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 I got to tell you, Brother Ron, who would get so excited about this, when Jesus was compared to being the wheel in the middle of the wheel, he didn't just spit back at the preacher. When he heard that line, he would step out of his seat. He would run the aisles two times. And when he got to the front, he would shake a leg. And then he would go back to his seat. Every time, like clockwork, when pastor said, Jesus is like the wheel in the middle, of the, this was Brother Ron's response. So my parents didn't know what it meant for him to be the wheel in the middle. Of the, so I went to the authority on the matter. I went to Brother Ron and I said, Brother Ron, what does it mean for Jesus to be the wheel in the middle of the wheel? And he said, I don't know. I said, but Brother Ron, every time pastor says it, you run the aisles two times and you shake a leg before you sit back down. What do you mean you don't know what it's like for Jesus to be the wheel? And he said, I just like the way that it sounds. I said, okay. I went to my youth pastor, asked him. He said, I don't know, you know. And so I, I was lost. I finally got old enough and started reading my Bible through cover to cover. And I came across Ezekiel chapter number one. And I read where he talks about him being the wheel in the middle of the wheel. And I thought to myself, thank God, at least it's in the Bible. I mean, we don't know what it means still, but at least we've got scripture for whatever it means it's in the book. And so years came and went, and I didn't know what it meant. You know what? We probably would get a lot. Let's just do it. Here we go. Let's see. Just kidding. I won't do that to you. <laughs> I was looking at some of you, and you're like, oh, dear God, this may be a heaven or hell issue, and I don't have a clue. We could pass the microphone around this morning. There probably be many different answers. Some of us might not even have an answer of what it means for Jesus to be the wheel in the middle of the world. So let's take a small journey this morning. Can we do that? Through the mind of Ezekiel. Let's see if we can't discover what it's like for him to be the wheel in the middle of the world. In order to fully understand it, you've got to get into the head of Ezekiel. In Philadelphia, I called him Zeke, so we'll call him Zeke here this morning. And Zeke is on fire for God. He wants to be used by God. He wants to preach the word of God. He's got notes this thick. He's preparing 
preparing for his first sermonette. Uh, and, and, and the problem is he's living under Jewish culture. And under Jewish culture, you cannot preach until you are 30 years of age. You're not allowed to minister the word of the Lord. So he's 25 but can't find a pulpit to minister in. He's 27. Nobody's interested in hearing him. 29, running out of time. And nobody wants to hear Zeke preach. And finally, he turns 30 years of age. This is his moment to preach the word of God, to exegete what thus saith the word of the Lord. The problem is Nebuchadnezzar has gone into Jerusalem, has tore down the wall, burnt down the city, destroyed the temple, taken the gold and silver out of the temple, and he has taken the best and brightest of the children of Israel and brought them into captivity. In return, the children of Israel have hung their harps on the willow trees, and they're not singing about God, talking about God, preaching about God. They're not going to church at all. And so now we have a young man, Zeke. He's turned 30 years old. He has been waiting years, a lifetime, to be able to minister the word of God. And now that he's finally old enough, nobody wants to have church. You would think that he would find a different calling, a different profession in life, a different career path to follow down. But he does not. He stays faithful to the call of God. How do I know that he stayed faithful? Because the very first verse of Ezekiel chapter 1 tells us he is 30 years old. He is four months and five days into his life and he hears from heaven. Otherwise, I'm 30 years old. This was my moment when God was supposed to talk, but nothing is happening. But I'm not giving up on God. 30 years in one month, still faithful. 30 years in two months, not wavering. 30 years in three months, four months, one day, two day, and five day. My friends, my family, and God forbid, but the church has quit on God. But I'm going to stay steadfast and faithful because I know that I know that I know he's going to speak into... Let me pause the metaphor for just a moment and preach to somebody. Uh, if God has ever given you a word, uh, don't you give up on it. Uh, I don't care how bad it looks, uh, how negative the situation is, uh, or how many people turn their back on the word of God. Uh, you hang on to it uh, because God is both the author uh, and the finisher uh, of my faith. Uh, and he who has started a good work uh, in me uh, is faithful uh, to see it through uh, Every single time. And Ezekiel, Ezekiel, he, uh, Zeke hears from God. He sees the heavens open. He hears visions from God. And God comes down. And I, I'm just going to paraphrase Justin Metter's vernacular of how the conversation went down. Went down something like this. God looked down at Zeke, and he's like, Zeke. And, and, and Zeke's like, here am I, Lord. Speak to me. And God's like, I, I need you to write a portion of the Bible. Now, God's never asked me to do that, Pastor. But I could imagine it would be a pretty high honor if he did. And so as he gets his pen and his paper ready, and he's going to start pinning the words of God into a book. And you got to start with the name of the book. And so he's like, God, if it would be all right, we'll just call this thing Ezekiel. <clears throat> God's like, do what you got to do, Bo. Put your name on it. So Ezekiel puts his name on it, and he is writing the words of this vision that he has seen. Now, he knows, and you know, if you've ever read your Bible through cover to cover, and I recommend you do so because you're basing your eternal salvation on the book, uh, you might want to know what it says. Uh, if you've ever read the Bible through cover to cover, you know that every book of the Bible has a unique revelation uh, of who God is. Every book has a unique take on God. Uh, so Ezekiel knows uh, God's going to give me a revelation uh, that he hasn't given anybody else in my book. He knows it's coming. Uh, he is hoping and praying it's one 
one of those Jehovah Jireh moments uh, because that just sounds awesome. We're going to sing about that and preach about that for years to come. Uh, give me one of those good catchy phrases. And so he's sitting here writing, and God says, Zeke, I am. And he said, mm-hmm. Because uh, anytime God says, I am, you know some powerful is about to come after it. All he's got to do is say, I am that I am, and we get excited. And so Ezekiel knows some good's about to come after. I am, mm-hmm. I'm like the wheel mm, in the middle of the, <laughs> say what? <laughs> that, that was hilarious, God. I, I almost wrote that down. You're like the wheel in the middle of the wheel. <laughs> that was funny. Go ahead, give me the real revelation. Ezekiel, I'm like the wheel in the middle of the, <laughs> God. <laughs> You've got jokes. I understand that. But go ahead. Give me the real revelation. One of those big Jehovah words that we can't spell and can't pronounce. Give me one of the. I'm like a wheel in the middle of the wheel. God. If I write in the Bible. Scratch that. If I get up on Sunday morning. Forget that. If I come to midweek service when people know I've stressed out and worked all week, I'm very busy, and sometimes it's maybe not my A game on Wednesday. If I come on Wednesday night uh, and compare you to Hot Wheels and spare tires, they are going to laugh me out of the building. I cannot write in the Holy Writ uh, that you're like the wheel in the middle. Give me a real revelation. Ezekiel, I'm like a wheel in the middle of the wheel. Ezekiel had lived long enough to know that if God tells you to do something and you don't do it, you will live to regret it. So he just wrote it. He's like the wheel in the middle of the wheel. He didn't understand it, but he wrote it. And he probably looked at God and said, God, they're going to ask me about this line in my book. Uh, you know, a- Abraham has Jehovah Jireh, and I, I get a wheel in the middle of the wheel. I, I-, I understand, God, you got to do what you got to do. But you're going to need to explain this to me because people are going to want to know, did you have too much pizza the night before Ezekiel? Did you get sidetracked? Did you couldn't not fill up enough words to complete the book? How How did you get around to comparing God to wheels? Uh, I'm going to need an understanding of this revelation. I don't know exactly how God did it for Ezekiel, but it might have went down something like this. Uh, He probably took him back to uh, Genesis chapter number 1 and verse number 1. The Bible says, In the beginning God uh, created the heaven and the earth, verse number 2. And the earth was without form and void, uh, and darkness was on. You kind of get the picture there. The earth was without form. uh, It was void, uh, and darkness was on the face There's a whole lot of nothing going on in verse number two. But in verse number three, God says, let there be light, and there was light. And then from verse number three through the rest of chapter number one, God creates everything that was ever created, rivers and mountains and valleys and oceans and fish of the sea and fowl of the air and beasts of the field. He creates everything from verse number three through the rest of chapter number one. There's a whole lot of something, something going on over here. But I digress. Verse number two, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. There's a whole lot of nothing over here, uh, a whole lot of something, something over here. How how do we get from nothing to something? Uh, Let's read verse number two one more time. Uh, And the earth was without form and void uh, and darkness was on the face of the deep uh, and uh, the Spirit of God uh, moved uh, across the face of the waters. uh, And when God moved, uh, the nothing in verse number two uh, became the some something in verse number three. Uh, let me blow the cover off of what I'm trying to preach this morning. Uh, everything that we do here as a church, uh, did you know we have motive behind it? Those guests are like, mm-hmm, I thought so. You're right, we do. I'm going I'm to be upfront and honest with you. The comfortable seat you're sitting in, motive behind that. Uh, the screens you're looking at, motive behind that. The great music, motive. Uh, pastor's good preaching, motive. The temperature of the room, motive. Uh, you see, we are trying to create an atmosphere uh, where you might feel God uh, because we know uh, that if you ever feel God, uh, you're going to 
praise God. And if you ever praise God, he dwells in the praises of his people. And he's going to start moving. And if God ever starts moving, uh, stuff's going to start happening uh, because when the praises go up, uh, his glory comes down. I got to tell you this morning, uh, I don't know if you've had a bad week, uh, a tough time, uh, went through some struggles or trials, uh, but you walked into this house uh, and you began to magnify the Lord. uh, And when you lifted him up, uh, his spirit entered the room. uh, And when God stepped into the room, uh, the miraculous power of his spirit uh, began to move. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Be seated for just a moment. Calm yourself down. It's just Sunday morning. I'm going to pick on you for a second. Is that okay? Right here. Let me give you a glimpse of heaven this morning. God was sitting on his throne in heaven, and he was watching my friend here, wanting to know if he was going to come to church because he's had a tough week. And he's like, I don't feel like going to. Some of you are like, mm-hmm, I didn't think you. Was that spiritual? I'm not reading his mail. I'm just using him as an example. Bro, they laughed pretty hard like that. Might have been, that might have been too close to home. I'm sorry. You want to pick somebody else? God sat down. He's like, is he going to come? Because I know he's tired and he doesn't feel good. But he came to church. God said, okay. He sat in his seat and, and, and the first music started, but he was determined. I ain't doing anything. I'm not worshiping. I'm not responding. I'm just going to go through the motions. I'm tired. I've had a bad week. But then the beat of the drum started and he just started tapping his foot. Just going, yeah, see, it's insignificant. This, this doesn't mean I'm into it, God. I'm just, I'm just here this morning. But, but, but then everybody else stood and he didn't want to look sinnerish. There's that word again. So he stood to his feet. Would you, would you help me? Yes, yeah, see, he stood up and, and God said, I, right, and God stood up and and then he started clapping his hands because everybody else was clapping and and so God walked down the staircase of heaven and stepped on earth and and then he he just started using a few words you're a good God and you're a holy God and you're a righteous God when he started doing that God opened the back doors of a building four walls made with man's hands stepped into the room then everybody else lifted their hands so he lifted his hands And, and then he made his biggest mistake he took his praise to a holy another level. He, he said, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah is the highest praise. And when he said hallelujah, God stopped hovering around the room and just got a hold of him and said, let me touch you. Let me deliver you. Let me set. You see, your praise is like a magnet and God is like metal. The more you lift him up, the closer he comes. And when you magnify the Lord, God begins to move in our midst. It doesn't have to be camp meeting. It doesn't have to be revival. But on a Sunday morning, when you begin to lift up Jesus, he steps into our midst. People can be healed. People can be delivered. People can be saved. Miracles can happen uh, because Jesus is in the house. uh, And where Jesus is, anything, 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 anything is possible uh, in the presence uh, of the almighty God. From here over, you guys stay standing. Everybody from here over, you got to be seated. These people are more spiritual than you. I'm sorry. 
Here's what happens. On a Sunday morning, the wheel of God steps into the room, and he's ready to move. He is ready to roll miracles into somebody's life. And all of a sudden, these people over here, they are desperate for a move of God. And so they begin to lift up Jesus. Would you just clap your hands over here and magnify? When they do that, the wheel of God turns their direction and says, I'm going to bless you, heal you, deliver now, there ought to be somebody over here who says, wait just a minute. Uh, you're not getting all the blessing uh, and all the miracles. Uh, I want a little piece of that. Uh, so you stand to your feet uh, and you put your hands together. Uh, and before you know it, uh, the anointing of God uh, is going from right to left, uh, front to back. Uh, he's in this house uh, and he is ready to do a work uh, in somebody's life. Hallelujah. Be seated. You understand if it's your first time here, I want you to know how easy it is to get a miracle. When you just begin to lift up the praise of Jesus and you begin to say things like, I love you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. You're a great God. He can't help himself but want to do something for you this morning. He's a wheel that you just can't stop. Once he starts rolling, it's hard to stop a move of the Spirit. That's why there are people among us who don't want to see the church grow, who don't like us getting too excited or having too big of a move of the Holy Ghost because they know once the wheel starts rolling down the hill, there is no stopping it then. That's why the devil fights so hard right before you get your breakthrough because he knows if you ever cross the throne of God and you ever step into a new era and a new dimension and a new level, the Spirit's going to keep on rolling and there is no turning back at that point. Are you ready for the revelation of the wheel? Not the wheel in the middle of the wheel, but the wheel. When are you ready for the wheel in the middle of the wheel? Just the wheel. The wheel starts right here, okay? It comes around to here, all right? Did I lose you on the last turn? You guys with me? Here to here. And then the wheel goes from here back to here. The wheel makes a circle. Might have been too deep. Some of you are going to be laying on your bed tonight at 1 o'clock in the morning and be like, I see it. I get it. The rest of you are like, Pastor, where do we get this guy again? <laughs> Might want to screen these guys. The wheel makes a circle. You think that's cool. Hang around a little while. It'll do it again. Because that's what wheels do. They make a circle, and then they do it again, and again, and again. And again, you understand with me that all of the galaxies and planets in outer space, they spin in a circle, in a cycle. They are on the wheel of God, and they never collide one with another. It's the wheel of God. You understand with me that we experience winter, spring, summer, and fall. Hang around a little while, and we'll do it all over again. We saw a sun rise this morning. We will see the sun set. We will endure the nightfall. And if you're blessed with breath tomorrow, you'll get a brand new sunrise again. Because he's a wheel and it does not change. What does that mean for you and I? I'll tell you what it means. He said, if you're feeling a little weak in your life, in your body, in your spiritual being, he said, don't worry. He said, my manna is going to come down every single morning. That's why Jesus prayed, give us this 
day, our daily bread. I'll get what I need to get through the day, but tomorrow when I need a little more, there will be fresh bread to give me strength tomorrow. He said, if you have a little sin problem in your life, be of good cheer. He said, my mercies, they are new every single morning. He said in Isaiah, I even I am the Lord and I change not. I am the same God over and over and over again. He said, I will load you with daily benefits and I'll keep on coming. He will later tell us in the New Testament he is the same yesterday, today and forever. What does that mean for you and I? If God has ever blessed anybody, if he has ever delivered anybody, if he has ever set anybody free or saved anybody's soul, he can do it not just once but he can do it over and over and and over again because God if he's ever healed you from any sickness he can step into the middle of this trial and give healing to your body all over again if he's ever given you revival which he has he can do it over and over and over again if he's ever brought your lost loved one into the church and they walked away be of good cheer honey he can do it again and again and again he is a God who has not changed he is the same yesterday, today, and for the problem with some of us is we like to serve God up here. When the wheel is up here, we're on top of the world. We like to love on Jesus. But when the wheel rolls down here and we're going through tests and trials and tribulations and the world is on top of me, that's when I like to jump out of relationship with God. I quit on him. I quit on the church and I give up and give in. I got to tell you, honey, this is not the time to quit on God. It's the time to hang on a little bit tighter because what brought me down here will bring me back around up here. If you will hang on a little while longer, you will reap in due season. If you faint not, if you're in the middle of trouble today, don't give up, don't quit, don't sell out, but hang on and keep believing because the goodness of God is going to keep on rolling. Be, be, be seated. Let, let, let me hurry. I got to hurry and get there. Listen, the wheel, when it moves, miracles happen. That's why in the New Testament, many of the notable miracles are preceded by the words, and he, talking about Jesus, moved with compassion. Because when the wheel starts moving, stuff starts happening. We have churches in our generation they pop up a dime a dozen. They're all over the place, every block. They believe something. But the problem with many organizations who want to put together communities of believers is, number one, they're not sure what they believe. And number two, they're more interested in connecting with each other than experiencing a move of God. And I'm not here bashing anybody or any organization. But what I am telling you is I want to be a part of a group of believers who it's more than just connection with you and I, and that's wonderful. But I want to have a move of God because I got 
a newsflash for you. Pastor is amazing, but he can't heal your body. Pastor is awesome, but he can't save your soul. And if all he does is leads a cool group of community of believers, we're not getting anywhere. But when we open our hearts and when we open our souls for a move of the Holy Ghost, this is how lives are changed. This is how people are touched. This is where miracles happen in the presence of God. He's like a wheel. Pardon the personal story, but I was 16 years old and lived in Donovan, Missouri, and I got my driver's license. It's a pretty big deal, you know. Donovan, Missouri, there's not a whole lot going on there. So I was able to drive about 35 minutes to Poplar Bluff, the mega town of Poplar Bluff, Missouri. We had a Walmart there, a Kmart. We had it going on. And so it was a little bit of a drive, and I hopped in my car one day, and I, I drove past what was a cornfield. It was just a whole bunch of mud now, but it used to be a cornfield, and there were two trucks in the middle of this field, and they were touching each other bumper to bumper, front end to front end. Their wheels were spinning. Mud was flying. Engines were revved. Motors were running. Smoke was coming. I thought, interesting. I went to town and came back a great deal of time later, and when I got back, those same two trucks were still in the middle of the field touching each other, bumper to bumper, front end to front end. Wheels were still spinning. Mud was flying. Smoke was coming out. Engines were revved. Motors were going. I thought, very interesting. So I, I pulled over. I thought I might have known one of the guys, and I hopped out of my car, and I started walking through the field. And I said, hey, Bo. Guy hopped out of his truck. He said, what's up, Bo? Bo's what you call people in southeast Missouri. I'm not sure if you do that here, but southeast Missouri, you call him Bo. I said, hey, Bo. He said, what's up, Bo? Realized I didn't know him, and he said, uh, he said, what you doing, man? I said, well, I, I don't want to get in your business, but if you're trying to get one of these trucks unstuck, if you were to turn the other truck around and pull instead of pushing, you might have some success. He's like, Bo, my man Bo over here, he's always had the same size truck as I have, same size frame, same size engine, same size body. He said, but he just got upgraded to the same size tires as I have. We're trying to see which truck is more powerful. Okay. <laughs> have a good day. <laughs> my work here is done. <laughs> I muttered a few things under my breath as I walked away. and Some of you are like, what, that's normal. <laughs> this, is, this is Arkansas. I forgot. I got a little too close to home here. I didn't think a whole lot about it at that moment. I, just a story I forgot. Some 10 years later, I was going through one of the most difficult trials of my life at that point. Most of the stuff that we go through, most of the trials, as we would say, we can point the problem back to right here. Something I said, something I did, something I didn't do, something I didn't say. Most of my problems are right here. But then there are certain times I go through things that I don't feel like I am the reason for. And I was going through one of these moments, and I was angry with God. God, I'm trying to serve you. 
I'm trying to do your will. I'm living for you. And I'm in the middle of this trial that just will not go away. And I don't understand why I'm in the middle of it. I was angry with God. I, I was venting frustration to God. And all of a sudden, when I finished praying, I opened up my Bible to Ezekiel chapter number one. And I'm reading about how he's the wheel in the middle of the wheel. And when I read it, my mind went back to preacher, pastor on his preaching run saying he's like the wheel in the middle of the wheel. And I remembered Brother Ron running the aisles two times and shaking his leg. And, and, and I remembered two trucks in a field, a moment that I thought I had forgotten. And in that moment, it dawned on me. You understand that, that God is powerful. He is everything and I am nothing. On my best day, I cannot compare to God. He knows everything. He's omniscient. He's all powerful. He's, he's, he's omnipresent. He is everywhere. and it, He's so great. But did you know that I have one quality that is equal to God's? So do you. It's called our will. Or could I say our wheel? Our own volition. You see, you can have the most powerful vehicle in the world, engine, frame, built like a tank. But if you have it set up on a block, it's not going anywhere. It's got to have a wheel to get it to where it wants to go. It's kind of like you and I, we, we have this intellect and we have our heart and our, our body, but, but we have to have a will to go where we want to go and not do what we don't want to. It's called will power. Sometimes you need willpower. Sometimes you need won't power. But this will is the battery. It's the engine. It's the thing that takes us where we're going. And you see, in my carnality, in my flesh, I have a plan for my life. I do. You do as well. I want to go this direction at this speed, hit no bumps along the road, arrive at the destination at this time, and experience this euphoria. That's our plan in the carnal will. But God being a sovereign God, he has the audacity to have a will for my life as well. And in his spirit, he wants to take me the opposite direction of my flesh. And while I want to go this way, he has a will that he said in Jeremiah to lead me to an expected end. And he wants to take me this direction. And on my best day, I'm not powerful enough to run over God's truck and just have it my way. But God is too much of a gentleman to run me over. So I end up being like a truck stuck in the middle of a field. Engines revved, motors running, smoke blowing, wheels spinning, mud flying. Ever felt like you went through a trial where you were stuck in a rut? Spinning your wheels, couldn't get anywhere in life? It might not even be a sin problem. It might just be a will problem. You see, we have to be led to pray the most difficult prayer there is to pray. Jesus prayed it at the apex of his life. Not my will, but thy will be done. You understand with me this morning that it's very difficult to surrender my will to God. I'd rather give him my money. I'd rather give him my time, my talent, my house, my car, as long as I feel like I'm in control 
and doing it my way. The Apostle Paul said, I die daily. He wasn't just talking about repenting of sin. He was talking about surrendering his will to God on a daily basis. Pardon one last personal story as I close this morning. At nine years of age, we lived in Donovan, Missouri. We had about seven acres, and my mom would mow the yard with a little green John Deere riding lawnmower. My sister Amanda was six at the time, and my sister hid behind the corner of the house and waited on mom to get there, almost to the corner, and she jumped out in front of that little green John Deere riding lawnmower, and she yelled, boom! My mom slammed on the brakes and stopped the lawnmower, and she said, Amanda, she said, don't ever do that again. She said, you could get hurt, you could die, stay away from the lawnmower, go and play with your brother at the other end of the yard. My sister was always a little stubborn, and so she, she went back to the corner of the house. She hid. She waited until my mother passed, and she ran up behind that little green John Deere lawnmower, and she jumped up on the back wheel with those two little six-year-old feet, both of them on the same wheel, and it sucked her up under the fender. Her feet were near the blades. Her back was against the wheel. Her stomach and chest was against the middle fender, her head and shoulders hanging out the back, and she's screaming, she's crying. My mom jumped off the lawnmower, and it had a kill switch on it, but he came off the seat and shut the mower down. I'm running, yelling, and my mom is screaming, and it's a very frantic, panicky moment. And I watched my mother lift that fender up off her baby, and she pulled my six-year-old sister out into the glory of God. There was not one scratch on her body. I watched as my mother, through tears, checked under her hair. She checked under her fingernails, her toenails, between the cracks and crevices of her body, making sure that there were no marks anywhere. But when she confirmed that she was okay and she knew that she was all right, she had all of this pent-up fear inside of her. She didn't know how to let it out properly. And so she screamed at my sister, my sister was standing just here to here, but she screamed so loud. You could have heard her three counties over. You might have heard her here. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, that's what that sound was a few years ago. She was standing right here, and this is what she yelled. She said, Amanda! She said, don't you know how powerful that wheel is? She said, you can't jump on that wheel. She said, it's going to take you wherever it's going. You can't stop the wheel. You can't control the wheel. It's too big for you. And so 17 years later, laying in my office, and the biggest trial I'd faced at that point in my life, I read Ezekiel 1. I heard Pastor. I saw Brother Ron. I remember two trucks in the field, and I thought I heard the voice of God through the voice of my mother, Justin. Don't you know how powerful his wheel is? You can't control God. You can't maneuver God. You can't force God to do what you want him to do when you want him to do it. You can fight against him all of your life, and you can live in constant frustration. Or you can have a wheel alignment. And you can live a life of faith. And this morning I'm speaking to people. I, I'm here in the Holy Ghost this morning. I've come with a very specific mandate for somebody, multiple somebodies, 
who have been walking through a season you don't understand. A shadow that will not lift. A cloud that will not pass you by. And you don't understand why you can't get out from underneath this feeling. And God has come here to whisper to you this morning. It's time to align your will with my will. It's time to come into agreement with my spirit and say, God, not my will, but your will be done. Would you stand with me across the building this morning? In just a moment, not yet, I don't know what you typically do on a Sunday, but let's do this. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you. I know there's not a ton of space. You guys have packed out this house, and it's so awesome. But I'm going to invite you in just a moment to take a step forward. If you can't even get all the way here, just come somewhat forward as a sign that I'm moving towards you, God. Here's here's what we're going to do. I, I want us this morning to come to this moment with God where we realize I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I'm trusting that you hold my tomorrow. You understand with me, most of us, matter of fact, let's just do this. Can we just be very real and transparent for a moment? I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes or bow your heads. Let's just be real. How many would admit you walked into this house with a need? Maybe small, maybe large, but I got a problem this morning. Would you throw your hand up real high? Would you just look around? I don't want you to close your eyes because I want you to see all the hands. There's hands all across this building. Almost everybody lifted their hand. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. We all have things we're facing today. The problem is most of us, we've never prayed about what we're facing because we're afraid that if we do pray, he may not answer the way we want him to answer. Those of us who have prayed about it, many of us, we've probably spent most of our time telling God how to do it, when to do it, where to do it, and why to do it. And never really ask him what he thinks. But this morning, I've got to realize that I can't control every nuance of life. But in order to live the way he wants me to live, I have to take my hands off the wheel and let him take control. Are you ready for the real revelation of the wheel in the middle of the wheel? Here it is right here. If we had just read on down, verse number 20 gives it to us. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse number 20, the last line tells us this. For the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. You see, God is a wheel that everything in life turns on. You and I are smaller wheels in the middle of a bigger picture. But Jesus told his disciples, I'm with you in the flesh, but I want to be in you. I want to become the wheel in the middle of your wheel. And then and only then can the Holy Spirit do what it was designed to do. Lead us and guide us into all truth. You see, if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, can I tell you the answer to all of your problems is in his spirit coming in you and leading you and guiding you, being the wheel in the middle of the wheel of your life. If you do have the Holy Ghost, maybe you've had it for 20, 40, 50 years, the answer to all of your problems is still the gift of the Holy Ghost and allowing him to lead me and guide me.
Here's what I want us to do right now. If you have a need, small or large, throw your hand up one more time. Throw it up real high. Would you do that? Here's what I want you to do. It's one thing to acknowledge it's out there. This is symbolic, but let's just do this. Would you just grab that problem? Come on, just make a fist. Just grab that situation. Maybe you've prayed about it. Maybe you haven't. Maybe it's a problem today. Maybe it's been around for years. Just grab it. Here's what I want you to do right now. Would you step out from where you're seated, and would you just step forward? Don't come all the way. Just come as close as you can get. Would you just make a move toward God? When you get here, would you just open up that hand and symbolically say, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm tired of crying over this problem. I'm tired of stressing out over the situation. I'm tired of sleepless nights. I'm tired of depression. I'm tired of oppression. I'm tired of the loneliness that this problem brings. I'm tired of the emptiness that I feel. I need help. If this is your first time here this morning, I invite you right now to close your eyes and lift your voice to God because he's here. He's as close as the mention of his name. Come on, sanctuary, would you lift your voice right now? Come on, seasoned saint who's been here since the very first day the church opened, would you lift your voice? First-time guest in this house, would you lift your voice? Those of you somewhere in between that, would you lift your voice right now? Come on, Jesus is in this house. Come on, you came this morning, you got dressed, you made the effort to be here. Let's not waste this moment. God, I need you right now to help me. I can't carry this load on my own. I can't fight this pressure by myself. I don't understand the season that I'm going through, but God, I'm trusting that you know. Come on, would you lift your voice as they play? Come on, sanctuary all across the building, right to left, front to back. Would you lift your voice to a God who hears, a God who understands, and a God who can help. Let him be the wheel in the middle of the wheel today.